Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, good evening. How you doing? It's good to see the best looking people in Albuquerque. Of course, I wear glasses. What do I know? You could be the best looking people in the world. I mean, how would I know? Maybe not just Albuquerque. All right. My tongue is already getting me in trouble. And we've titled the message tonight, The Tongue, A Megaphone of the Heart. So if you have your Bible, look with me in James chapter 3. As you are turning there, I want to pause for a moment in James chapter 1. And it's just a moment to reflect about what we do as we enter into a study of God's Word. You are very keen-minded people in that you have willfully chosen to come tonight and to be with the brethren and to open up the Word of God because you sense and understand that there is value in studying His Word. But there is always the command that goes out to us that is more than just intellectual uh, exercise that we go through somehow massaging our brain. There is a deep reality connected to this process. And I'd like to read in verse 22 of James 1. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. The one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you tonight. Humbly, Lord, with open hearts, once again looking to you for direction. We've come to know that you are the source of it all, the source of all life. And your words have great meaning to us. And Lord, we know they have meaning by the power of your Holy Spirit. You've revealed them to us. It is your will. And we are a part of that. So, Lord, as we once again open the pages of your book, we ask that that very deep, keen, powerful work that only you can do would be done in us. Lord, religion is very boring, but you are exciting. You bring meaning to our lives. So as we look at these pages tonight, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord, that our minds and our hearts would be not only open to you, but set directly upon you. We want to know what is on your heart, Lord. Fill us with your spirit for this short time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this chapter, chapter 3 of James, we hope to cover three, six things tonight. And first of all, we want to... Note in verse 1 through 2, the value of the tongue. Then in verse 3 through 5, the vital nature of the tongue. In verses 5 through 6, the vice of the tongue. Verses 7 through 8, the veracity of the tongue. And verse 9 through 12, the variations of the tongue. And in verse 13, we'll wrap it up with the virtuous challenge for the tongue. Look with me at verse 1, and we'll read together. 
My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall all receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they have so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even the so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. In preparing for this message, I read uh, a lot of material this week, and some of it I'd like to share with you. Here's some choice thoughts on the tongue. This concerning abrasive speech says this, Many a blunt word has a sharp edge. Keep your words soft and sweet, and you'll never know when you might have to eat them. Concerning gossip, gossip is like soap, mostly lie. A gossip is just a fool with a keen sense of rumor. About profanity, profanity is a public announcement of stupidity. Swearing is a lax man's way of trying to be emphatic. About telling the truth, a lie is a coward's way of getting out of trouble. Truth is as clear as a bell, but it isn't always told. About boasting. When you sing your own praise, you always get the tune way too high. Don't brag. It isn't the whistle that pulls the train. Those are some unique thoughts about the tongue in life. But you know, the tongue is essential to us as humans. I can remember many times as I went to the doctor as a young child and even now. The doctor's first thing that he would do is he'd set you down and he'd turn that little light on in his head, look right into your face and say, open your mouth and say, ah. And it didn't mean that he was just going to look in there. He pulls out a stick, sets it on the tongue and begins to try to make you gag almost immediately. I don't know why doctors do that. I think it's probably fun. But they look at the tongue to see immediately how the health of the whole body is. This week, as I looked across the Internet, I found there is such a thing known as black tongue. (laughs) Don't look it up. (laughs) But it has to do with the little cells on the top layer of skin of your tongue that no longer slough off after they are dead, and bacteria and fungus begins to develop, and it's black and sort of hairy. You don't want that. Yeah. Chew on that for a minute. Chuck Swindoll had this very keen observance. He said, the tongue, what a study in contrast. To the physician, it's merely a two-pound slab of mucous membrane enclosing a complex array of muscles and nerves that enables our body to chew, to taste, and swallow. How helpful. Equally significant is the major organ of communication that enables us to articulate distinct sounds so that we can understand each other. The tongue truly is essential. Now, not only is it essential, but it's used every day of our lives. It's been estimated that an average person, and I say most of us here are average people, speak from 18,000 to 25,000 words each day. Now, I don't know where they got this from, but they estimate that men speak approximately about 25,000 words a day and women speak 30,000 words a day. Now, here comes the problem. By the time he comes home, he's spoken about 24,999 of his words. (laughs) And she, being with the kids all day and running around and shopping and going to groceries, she just started. She's only used 10. And so the response is from, from him, he says, hi, honey. And she goes, honey, do you have a minute? He goes, oh, uh, I'm really tired. I got to go to bed. See you later. <laughs> He's already spoken everything he can. Now, someone else calculated that if you put all of our words in a book, we would 
produce a 54-page book each day. And if you compiled it throughout the year, it adds up to little less than about 70,000-word book each year. The average person spends about one-fifth of his life speaking. If you'd like to turn there, you can look in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. We'll end our study there. You might want to mark it. But we're going to go through a number of of passages here, and so it might be more beneficial to you to write them down. The megaphone not only is relevant, I mean, excuse me, the tongue. I'm getting ahead of myself here. The tongue is not only essential to life and is not only used daily, but the tongue is a megaphone of the heart. The tongue reveals what is actually going on in the heart of a human being. Because out of the heart comes the real issues of life. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. I love what he says in the presence of God. So I said, woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In Mark chapter 7 verse 20, Jesus expands on this and he said, What comes out of a man that defiles the man? For within the man, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile the man. It's the inward parts of the man. They were arguing against how someone was eating and what they were taking into your body. And he said, that doesn't defile the man. It's actually what proceeds out of his mouth that defiles the man. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. None who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is in their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. And the ways of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. He's saying, Dave, this is kind of heavy. I know. I found that out this week as I was going through this passage. God has a lot to say about the words that come out of our mouths. Because like the good doctor who peers into that ugly tongue and looks for health or the lack of health, in the same way, God is saying to us that the words that proceed out of our mouths prove what is inside of us. Either we are healthy spiritually or we're sick. I found some interesting terms that are used in connection with the tongue throughout Scripture. The tongue is described as backbiting in Proverbs 25. It's described as a fire in Acts chapter 2. In Micah chapter 6, it's described as deceitful. In 1 Timothy, it's seen as double. Uh, In Psalm 120, it's seen as false. Proverbs 6, it's seen as flattering. Proverbs 25, it's seen as gentle. Proverbs 10, it's seen as just. Isaiah 59, the tongue is seen as muttering. In Proverbs 17, it's seen as perverse. In Psalm 140, it's seen as sharpened. In Exodus 4, it's seen as slow. Isaiah 33 is stammering. Proverbs 15, it's seen as wise and known of God. In Psalm 139, verse 4, I'll read this. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And the psalmist had it. 
There's great description for the tongue throughout Scripture. But the real interesting note about this is that God is the one who knows every word that proceeds out of man's mouth. You know, scientists have stated this, and I'm not a scientist, so I can't prove it. But that every word that is produced or sound that is produced has a particular wave. And that wave potentially can travel through space, through time, through eternity, and never fade. That is to say that every word that comes out of our mouths goes on literally forever. Every word. Now, some of you, that kind of makes you afraid a little bit. But there's also a proper use of the tongue seen in Scripture. It's seen as speaking the righteousness of God in Psalm 35. In uh, Psalm 37, it's seen as speaking the wisdom of God, the words of God. I love what Psalm 119 verse 172 says. He says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Psalm 126 verse 2 speaks of the tongue singing, singing praises to God. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. And best of all, lest we get completely depressed in this process, best of all, it is the mouth that is used to to profess Christ. Over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, I'll read these words. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name above all, every name. That every name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see a contrast. And man seems to be in a constant struggle between what is good and what is evil. And that struggle peers its way up into public by the use of our tongue. I found a little poem I'd like to read to you. The boneless tongue, so small and weak, can crush and kill, declares the Greek. The tongue destroys a greater horde, the Turk asserts, than does the sword. The Persian proverb wisely saith, a lengthy tongue and early death, or sometime takes its form instead. Don't let your tongue... Cut off your head. The tongue can speak a word whose speed, says the Chinese, outstrips the steed. The Arab sages said, in part, the tongue's great storehouse is in the heart. From Hebrew was the maxim sprung, thy foot should slip, but ne'er the tongue. The sacred writer crowns the whole, who keeps the tongue doth keep his soul. Truly, the heart is the storehouse for the mouth. The heart is the storehouse for the tongue. And the tongue gets its directions from what lies in the center and the being of a person. Jesus makes this very clear in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruits. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. He goes on to say in verse 36, A tongue can control a man's destiny. But you say, but I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, 
and by your words you will be condemned. Now some of you are thinking, hey, wait a minute. Hey, Jesus, back off just a little bit. What are you saying here? Well, let me tell you what he is not saying. He is not saying that we are justified by our words. We know that it is only his efficacious work on the cross that we are justified. We have no goodness in us. We can't muster up enough good speech to merit our entrance into heaven. That was only done by Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? However, he's saying here that your words reflect what is in your heart. And by that, your words and your confessions, you let us know and you tell the truth about what is really going on inside of you. There in lies the condemnation in those words. All right, we make it finally back to James chapter 3. Look at me at verse 1. The value of the tongue. Anyone who can control his or her tongue is a perfect person, able to keep their entire life in order. My brethren, let not many of you become masters or teachers, knowing that you shall receive the stricter condemnation. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. It's interesting to me, being a teacher, having that big portion of my life, part of who I am, that he starts this whole passage about the tongue and he directs it to the teacher. The word that he uses here for teachers, didaskaloi, it is a word that speaks of plurality of teachers or masters that is seen here. And he simply states this, It probably isn't a good idea for everyone to run after the office of a teacher. Now, the audience that it was written to had in their mind the Jewish rabbi. He was known as an exalted one. He was someone who carried within the community, the Judaic community, a lot of respect from the people in the community. Now, he was supposed to work with his own hands and to pay for his own way, but it was considered among the people very honorable to take in a rabbi and to pay his wages and to care for him. It was considered as a great honor. In fact, he was held in such a high honor that if your mom or dad got into trouble... And the rabbi was in trouble too. Let's say they had all been riding on a card and they fell off. You were required or there was a greater obligation for you or myself to reach down and to pick up the rabbi and help him before you would help your parents. Why? Because he was one who watched over your soul. But during the time of Jesus, they had risen to such prominence and ability and and height in the community that they no longer held the stature and the true meaning of what their cause or their purpose was within the community. It was a true spiritual calling that is spoken of here. Ephesians chapter 4, we've read these words many times. I'll read them again beginning in verse 11. He said, And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Therefore, we must not pursue this calling in a casual fashion because of its weighty responsibility. The tongue has power, period. That's why he says, if you think speaking in front of people or teaching people or instructing people is a nice profession and people say nice things to you and look how they look, oh, they look at you with smiles and they act like you're smart. I think I want that job. He says, look, buddy, that's not the job for you. It needs to be a real spiritual calling. Why? Because with this comes judgment and condemnation of that which is false. In essence, here's the idea. 
That when you and I are dealing with eternal issues concerning issues of life, if, if, if I direct you in a wrong direction and you steer away from the truth of God and your life is wrecked, I have a responsibility as a teacher to the living God and I have to answer for him for your soul. Such was such a terrible response to this this terrible responsibility. John Knox, that great reforming preacher, the first time that he got into the pulpit, he began to weep so uncontrollably that they had to take him down because of the weight of the responsibility. He understood the cause there. Now, here's the problem. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. We'll look at verse 25. The problem is that not everyone values the tongue who names the name of the Lord. Not everyone values the truth of what God has said when it comes to teaching. He says, I have heard the words of the prophets that say who prophesy lies in my name saying, I have had dream. I have a dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed they, are, indeed, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as his father forgot my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? So there is a great responsibility in this, you see, from this passage that he says, look, you may have an idea or you may have some type of concept that you think everyone should hear. But before you open your mouth and begin to propagate it publicly before mankind, he says, beware, because you will receive stricter judgment or condemnation for the words that you speak. Therefore, it is always best. When speaking, when preaching, when teaching, when sharing your heart and your mind, it is always best and safe to stay close to the source of all truth, and that is simply the Word of God. You know, you say, Dave, what's the big deal? Can't we all share? I mean, do we all have to be, you know, great Bible students? Well, that's not exactly what it's saying. All of us in many ways teach People around us, we mentor our children and, and nieces and nephews and family members or younger people that we're around. And that is all a part of life and it is good. But beware, and this is for every one of us, not just for me, but everyone here. When we begin to speak on behalf of the name of the living God, it is not something for us to take lightly at all. We should always take it with great reverence, understanding that my words could have an eternal effect on the person who hears them. So it should be taken with grave, grave responsibility, understanding the issue. What's the big idea? What's the big deal? Here's the deal. Words influence the mind. What we believe influences how we live, and how we live influences our destiny, and our destiny determines our life in eternity. That is why it's so important. God is not a liar, and there's nothing false in Him. His words are true, and if He says... He is the only way to salvation, then that means that all who deny that truth are spreading lies and influence people toward an eternity separated from God. That's why, let's just take just a moment here. We'll, we'll take the, the emphasis off of us speaking and now turn it to listening to other people. That's why it's equally important for us to pay close attention to what goes into this ear into this mind, what we see with our eyes, what we take in. Because all of the images, all of the words, all of the sounds, everything that we see influences this brain that God has given us. And God has given us only one. I've done well for years with just a half of one. Imagine what I could have done. Well, 
all of that to say this. Beware of what you hear. What does the scripture say? Test all things. Why are we told to do so? Because not every sound, not every word, not every communication in the name of the Lord is true. There can be falsehood. There can be lies involved. And it can affect not only the way that you live, but how you treat others and direct them in their lives. So it's important. The influence is important. I love what Jews says in verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why. Because they're out there. And because they are among us, therefore we are exhorted to pay close attention and to contend or to fight or to stay at the task for the faith, this spiritual trust that was delivered to us in the truth of God's word. That's why it's important. Well, there is a contrast and it is a good contrast. The contrast is that of a good teacher. And Paul himself, I believe, was one of the finest. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he contrasts the false with this. He says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or in any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Ah, now that's a good guy. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both forth to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Each one's praise will come from the Lord. Each one's praise will come from the Lord. The man who says, I preach, I teach to bring glory to God and I prepare my life and my message to be approved of him and of no man. I like that guy better than anybody else because he has counted the cost and he is ready to be judged by God. The final court period. Not the court of humanity, not the court of popularity, but by God himself. Paul was that way. All right, we've made it past verse 1. Let's look at verse 2. We'll be here till midnight. Anyone who can control his or her tongue, as I mentioned before, is perfect person able to keep their entire body. Look with me at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle both his whole body. The word that is used there for perfect, and I've mentioned it before, is teleos. And it can be used for perfection, but it would probably be best translated in connection in this verse as mature. The mature person is able to keep his entire life because he has brought his or her tongue under control. Now, notice what it says at the beginning of this verse. For we all stumble in many ways. That's true, isn't it? We can all agree with that, can't we? All of us stumble in many ways. There are sins of the body, and you can name them. And we've all stumbled in a lot of different ways. But here's the point. If you can conquer the mouth, the rest will fall in line. And that's what he's saying here. If you can conquer this tongue and what this tongue says and what it's effusive comes from, from the heart, you can conquer the rest. It's the hardest one to conquer. Why? Because if you're going to beat somebody up, you've got to 
have somebody around and make sure that they're close enough in arm's length to hit them. And you can't always get them that close, I find. Or let's say if, if someone wanted to commit adultery, you've got to find another person to do that. But the tongue is ready like an arrow and it can shoot at such a far distance at its enemy and at its target. But if you're able to bring it under control, you're able to bring everything else into place as well. All right, let's look at verse 3. And in verse 3 through 5, we notice the vital nature of the tongue. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest little fire kindles. Three images or examples that he gives us here concerning this tongue. He speaks as in a way of controlling it as a horse needing a bridle, as a ship needing a rudder, and as fire, which if it goes out of control can completely destroy things that it comes in contact with. How many of you grew up around horses? I grew up around horses. We always had horses. In fact, my dad brought home a little Shetland pony for me, which is not, I found out later, the best thing to do. You know, everybody wants their dad to buy him a pony. Well, my dad actually did buy me a pony. But it happened to be the craziest, meanest, insane pony that ever existed. We had a... uh, a, a place that we went out to where we kept our horses and uh, corral. But my dad didn't want to wait. So he pulled up in front of our house with the horse trailer and hollered at me, Dave, come on outside. And I walked out there and he said, and he had a beautiful pony for me. So we pulled it out in the front yard and we saddled it up. And I jumped off the, our white fence onto the horse and pulled up the reins and all I remember after that was basically, I think I kicked its haunches and said, giddy up. Well, all he tried to do for the next five minutes, which seemed like an hour and a half, was try to scrape me off on any tree, bush, clothesline. And after he finally did knock me off and I landed face first on the fence and uh, bit through my lip here. He ran off to the neighbor's house and uh, I told my dad, I hate that horse. I never want to see him again. So we gave him to the neighbor kid and two weeks later, the neighbor kid got hurt really bad and uh, I'm sure he ended up at some type of glue factory or something after that. It was too good for him. Anyway. A horse without a bridle, if you don't know what a bridle is, a bridle is a piece of metal that is uh, set to reins that as a horse moves along, you're able to pull that pressure down on the tongue and it, it, it causes the horse to pay attention to what you're doing. Because in most cases, and I would say almost every case, the horse is much bigger than the human. And... So they know that and they don't figure they have to listen to you at all. But once you get that bridle in the mouth, hey, it gets their attention. The horse is a very wild, very strong animal. Horses, however, do not function very well without humans. This is what I mean. A horse left to itself lets his hooves grow long. He's sometimes unable to walk. His care is weakened. And their life expectancy is much shorter than if they were cared for by humans. We care for them because they have value to us. In the same sense, he's saying the tongue has great value and it is powerful. And if it's left to its own devices, can be wild 
And that's why we control it with a bit in the mouth. He moves on to ships. Those of you who have sailed know that the last place you want to be is out on the water in a boat without a rudder. There's nothing worse than to be blown about throughout the water with no way to reach land. You're just victim to wherever the wind or the waves lead. And the person who cannot control their tongue is completely out of control, driven from one outburst to the next. Literally, completely lost. Then he gives us the image of fire. Fire, he says, you know, you notice the little flame. Sometimes it's, it's known as a, a tongue, but it kind of flaps back and forth. It's just a nice little tiny flame. You, you strike a match. But one little match, oh, the damage that it can do. Back in 1995, uh, 96, I lived in Taos, New Mexico. And one Sunday... After church, we stepped out of the, the, the foyer and many of us walked outside and were looking out. It was a beautiful day. And one of my friends who had a house in El Rito said, it's about 35 miles from there. He looked out and he said, that looks like a plume of smoke near where my house is. I'm going to go home. Well, by the time he got there, his home was completely destroyed. And so were the rest of the dozens of homes at that small village. The fire had been traced back a few days later. It was a big, huge fire, and people had to be evacuated from various places. But the most telling and chilling aspect of this fire is that it was traced back to one fellow's house who had went into his backyard on a windy day in the spring and burned his trash out in, you know, the the little 55-gallon barrels. And you could see from his backyard, from that trash can, this huge V that spread out and completely destroyed a whole mountainside with fire. You know, I don't know if this is true or not, but I had heard that the great Chicago fire of 1871 was started by Mrs. O'Leary's cow who kicked over a lantern in the stall and started that great fire. The tongue is very vital in that it holds great power, but it is only useful if it's brought under control. All right, the third thing we notice, look at verse 5. The vice or the sin or the indignance of the tongue. In verse 6 it says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. The Greek word that is used here for set on fire of hell is not Sheol, the place of the dead, but Gehenna, which spoke of the Hinnom Valley that everyone knew about in Jerusalem. It was the place, the trash dump, the place that you would go and burn. And it was a place of constant burning. You know, as you walk by there, there was always some kind of trash and refuse smoldering. And so you have this stench. And so the image that he is giving us here is that this fire that it sets on and destroys is that Gehenna fire, the, the trash dump fire that it is all consumed. One little spark is all it needs. Words have the ability to destroy, don't they? You know, there was an article who came out a a number of years ago. Uh, A group of scientists set out to understand why there are certain couples make it past 10 years, and then there are other couples that don't make it very long at all. And they thought as they entered into this study that they would find that, you know, it would be related to how many uh, times a person is hugged or how many times a couple goes out on a date or how much affection is shown. In fact, they showed that that had little or nothing to do with it at all. It was boiled down into a few simple statements. After years of study, this is what they came up with. Among the couples who ultimately would stay together, they noticed this. 
Five out of every ten comments that were made were put down. Excuse me, five out of every 100 comments that they made were put downs. So out of every comments that they would make to a, a person, out of 100, only five of them would be put downs. Now, if you just step that up times two, all of the couples who spoke 10 or more put downs within 100 comments, every one of them were destined to implode and self-destruct as a couple. It was directly related to the way that they spoke to one another. Because the words enter in and they enter into the mind and to the heart and that deep effect over time will be the destruction of that relationship. Period. Just by simply speaking. Okay. We notice the power of the tongue. We notice the vice of the sin of the tongue. But in verse 7, we see the veracity or the uncontrollable nature of the tongue. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We have, as humans, this great propensity for finding animals and beasts and everything on the planet and taming them, don't we? In one form or another, even if it's like the crocodile hunter jumping in there playing with snakes or uh, going out and finding some beast and bringing it back to civilization and, and training it to do something, we have a penchant for that. But he says, though we may be able to do that, there is not one human who can tame the tongue. It is completely unruly and full of deadly poison. But notice what he says here. There is not one person who is able to do it, but there is one God who is able to tame mankind's tongue. I love what Romans verse 10 says, chapter 10 verse 8. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses unto salvation. For Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is rich to call to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God gives us the ability to call upon Him and to ask for forgiveness. And that begins a whole new relationship for this tongue and the world. You guys ever hear of that great hymn, Amazing Grace? Sure you have. All of you know probably the first three verses by heart. But what many of you may not know is that the man who wrote it was a slave trader before he came to Christ. And he spent a number of his lot years as just the most vile man, as he described, that he could ever imagine. He was such a profuse abuser of language that he prided himself, I guess when you're trading around on a boat and you got nothing else to do, he prided himself in the ability to curse longer with a new word and not repeat himself and beat anyone who would ever challenge him. And as far as we know, no one ever beat him. But when he came to Christ, God got a hold of his heart and his heart began to reflect, his mouth began to reflect his heart, what was on inside of him. And there was a deep abiding change which could call a man to write such beautiful words, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
That's what God would do with a man. I love the words of the psalmist. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. The world may be unable to tame the tongue, but the living God can take the heart of a man and a woman and tame that vicious tongue and bring it to a place of submission and worship before himself. Well, verse 9, we see the variations of the tongue and its inconsistency. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Here's the contradiction. The tongue tries to live a double life. And there's no way. And this is specifically speaking to the believer. I don't expect that the unbeliever will worship God out of a pure heart. But he he brings the contradiction to us. With this tongue that we have, we bless God the Father because now we know to love Him. But at the same time, we use it to curse men. It really curses people. And we have no way or reason to do this. How can we bless God and curse people who have been made in the image of God Himself? He says this contradiction should not exist. And here is why. Just look at the facts, verse 11. Fresh water and salt water cannot flow from the same spring. And that's what it says in the beginning of verse 11 and at the end of verse 12. It's a simple fact. Out of the opening of a spring, you will not find fresh water and salt water. Because immediately if the salt water hits the fresh water, what happens? It turns to salt water. Period. You can't have the two flowing side by side. One will contaminate the other and it becomes something completely different and new. Fact number two, a fig tree cannot bear olives and a grape vine cannot produce figs. And believers who worship God cannot be double-tongued in their speech and bring any glory to God, can we? There's just no way. You can't spend your Sundays and your Wednesdays worshiping God and your drives to work listening to praise music on the the radio and singing. And yet, when you're alone with your buddies or your friends, you're cutting people down and trashing them. It can't be. God has given this to us for a reason. And it's not to be contradictory in speech. Verse 22 of Galatians 5. I love these words. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and against there is no law. If we're going to bear forth good fruit, the fruit should be able to be heard by everyone who comes in contact with someone whose heart has been changed by the living God. It should be visible. We'll begin to close, and I'll tell you a story of a a little gal by the name of Mary. Mary was a young girl who was born in the 50s, 1950s. She had a challenge physically. She had a cleft palate. So her face looked different. The sounds that came out of her mouth were different. And as any young child going to school can relate, nobody wants to be different. 
In fact, if you could just sort of fade into the, to the woodwork and just be like everybody else, that's what you want to be. But she wasn't. She was different. And to make it worse, she had a hearing problem in one of her ears. And so, as was common during that day, the, the teachers once a year would give hearing tests. And so you were called to walk into a room and turn to one side and the teacher would ask you a few questions and, and then you'd give an answer. And she understood the, the, uh, the process very well. And so she kind of had the, the answers memorized because she couldn't hear that well. But she turned to the teacher with her good ear and it was a teacher that had been very kind to her. She had come to know and to love her. That teacher had shown her such great love. But... That one day, and the words that were spoken out of this teacher's mouth, changed the course of Mary's life. In very soft, whispery tones, she leaned over and she said to the little girl, I wish you were my little girl. And Mary knew instinctively at that moment that someone loves me. And cares for me. And I am different. And I am special in a very unique way. I had a similar experience. My dad died when I was eight years old. And I lived in a little country town that probably nothing good should come out of. And there's still any proof that anything has good come out of it since. But I had a coach in high school. When I was a freshman in high school, I sat on the bench on our basketball team. When I was a sophomore, our school was so small, we didn't have anybody, anybody for the team. So I was the uh, water guy. The water, I was the original water boy. I was a water boy for the girls' team. <laughs> Not that bad, really, when you think of it. <laughs> but the next year, we got a coach in. And uh, he only had seven guys for a team. Five of them were freshmen. And he looked at me, and he, and he said to me these words, and he probably never really understood the impact that he made, but he said, Son, you have potential. What? I think you could be a good ball player. Are you kidding? Me? And so he would challenge me. He said, I'm going to give you the key to the gym. He gave me the key to the gym. And he said, I bet you can't shoot 500 balls each night. I just don't think you can do it. Well, I shot 1,000 balls a night. And pretty soon, I made sports writer's pick of all South Plains and the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. We're the littlest school in the world. And uh, I had leading my district and rebounds and, and uh, eventually ended up the year uh, averaging 26 points a game. My highest scoring game was 39 points. And it was because of the words that he said to me. It had really nothing to do with me. All I needed was just somebody to say, hey, I think you can do it. And God has given us such power with our mouths. He's given us such ability not only to to worship Him, but to bless and to be conduits of great love and ministry and effectiveness in a world that desperately needs to hear something true. That's the power of the tongue. That is the vital nature of the tongue. And that is what God has called us to. Finally, in verse 13, we'll close. We see a virtuous challenge for the tongue. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness and of wisdom. If you know that it's true, then it has to be real and it has to be real enough to live. If you believe what has been spoken tonight in this passage of Scripture, then let me say this. It is only real if you live it out. Folks, I think this is one of the finest churches I've I've ever been to. I have no greater privilege other than, say, maybe being a parent than to being with you. 
And if there were ever, was ever a group of people that could do it, it's you. You can set this town afire with tongues that are dipped in that golden, golden truth of God's word and spread a movement that this world is yet to see. It's not the one who hears, but it's the one who does. So God is holding each one of us, our feet to the flame, to be effectual hearers, doers of the word. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your word. We love you and we bless your name and we thank you for letting us be together with you tonight. What a deep and strong challenge we have from your word. So Lord, enable us to live beyond what we could ever expect expect or imagine or dream or even hope for. We pray that our mind and our hearts would be set upon you and that our words would be seasoned with grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.